Hi, I'm Jake Shears, and I want to tell you about my new podcast, Queer the Music, that uncovers the anthems that have dominated dance floors and shaped queer lives. I'll be unpacking a different track each episode to discover the fascinating stories and backgrounds to each tune with the help of my brilliant guests. I had been advised by a media trainer to not come out. Love to see every kind of person say, sucking on my titties, because we all have titties. We got pelted cups of water tubes of toothpaste that's queer the music with me jake shears listen wherever you get your podcasts i'm sandra and i'm just the professional your small business was looking for but you didn't hire me because you didn't use linkedin jobs linkedin has professionals you can't find anywhere else including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role like me in a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Before we begin, this series features the amazing unheard stories of queer nightlife in Britain, colourfully told by the community that lived it. So expect the unexpected, strong language and themes of an adult nature. My name is Damien Kerlin and this is Memories from the Dance Floor, a docu-series which unravels the forgotten history behind LGBTQ nightlife across the UK. Join me as I dive into 20th century queer culture and the opening of iconic superclubs. Along the way, I'll speak to artists, promoters and patrons as we unpack the expressions of queer identity through truly epic nights from the real lives of the community behind those closed doors and the memories that will last a lifetime. Like, I think people have forgotten how to cruise. You know, I'm old enough to remember, you know, when you flirted with someone across the room in a, in a nightclub, you know, and you'd sort of follow them round and get your pint and lean on the bar a bit here, try and be a bit seductive. And then, like, That's John Murr, a.k.a. Mrs Murr, DJ and drag act extraordinaire. And then sometimes at the end of the night, they'd go off with someone else and you think, nah, damn it. And then sometimes you'd bump into them and you'd get them and you'd have a really good night and, you know... A fabulous shag. 
<laughs> Sometimes a lousy shag, but quite a lot of lousy shag. <laughs> I've had some brilliant ones as well. Don't feel sorry for me. <laughs> We may joke, but it's hard to overstate the importance of the gay bar within the LGBTQ plus rights movement over the last five or six decades. These bars have served as safe places for the community to be together, to mingle and to simply exist as their true selves. Through times of criminalisation, we've carved out safe spaces that have provided a sense of belonging. These were spaces where gender roles were ignored and people could present and dress as they liked. They allowed queer people to explore their identities, express themselves freely and build new creative connections. And long before the super clubs, like Heaven, there was simply the gay bar, and none are as iconic or inclusive as the beloved Black Cap. A Camden landmark for over 250 years and one of London's biggest and most famous queer spaces for more than 50. My nan knew, she got me two blonde wigs and a pair of size three stilettos and just said to me, there's some stuff in the cupboard by the cellar if you want to play with this. Open them up. Oh, nan. <laughs> Put them on, clapped about. So uh, I had, it's not like I hadn't done drag, but I never ever thought I would be a drag queen. If you told me then that I'd be doing it now for, properly for a living and stuff, I would never have believed you. The Black Cap was known, after all, as the Palladium of Drag and is where Mrs Murr launched her career, following the footsteps of drag pioneers Regina Fong, Mrs Shufflewick and Lily Savage. But as Mrs Murr tells us, it wasn't quite love at first sight. I didn't really like it, if I'm honest, when I first met myself. It was controversial. It was in 1995 when licensing laws changed and all-day drinking arrived in London that the Black Cap began ramping up its offering of entertainment. Mrs Murray was introduced to the resident DJ Chris Reardon and was initially offered a four-week trial covering for another DJ who'd moved to Edinburgh. So I just went into cover for four weeks and I stayed there for 18 years. <laughs> you get less for murder. I was like a hard house DJ then, so yeah, just died and, and never really left. I probably shouldn't tell the story about having sex with the other DJ and then stealing his job, should I? Anyway, that's what happened. <laughs> uh, <laughs> awkward. Um, <laughs> although he did come on my trousers. <laughs> So as well as Mrs Murr, the Black Cap was also home to Sandra, the whore of Hampstead, and as mentioned, Lily Savage and Mrs Shufflewick, of which there are were many fond memories. Hello, my lovelies. So we've managed to save the picture of Shufflewick and... I mean, her album, I think it's called A Little Drop of the Hard Stuff, mm. is recorded in 1972 at the Black Cap. You can still get it on vinyl, but I think it's on YouTube and stuff now. Mrs Shufflewick is the name. Star of stage, screen, radio and television, labour exchange and dope parties. So but that's quite cap because she sings Don't Have Any More, Mrs Moore. But you can hear the old-fashioned, <laughs> the old-fashioned ka-ching of the till going behind the bar while she's standing <laughs> on stage. But the stories are legendary with people like her, you know. She used to sit on the... She used to have, like, a crate of... Uh, brown ale or Guinness and just sit. She used to be absolutely arsehole. I wonder why people call me and Mrs Shuffle. I don't know why. There's a connection. Um, I think it's because we're both funny, not because we're both drunks. Don't have any more Mrs People tend to equate gay bars as being places to party. They're fun spots if you're gay, straight or anywhere in between. Wild night out stories often include or end at the gay bar, but they were also so much more than that, especially in regard to drag history.
2001 for me is when Regina, her Imperial Highness Regina Fong and Millie Turner asked me if I would do one of the Dolly Mixture shows or the New Year's Eve show. So I said, uh, yes, and here we are. <laughs> so, you know, it's just got so much history in that respect. Like the day at Sharp, when they asked me to come back, we weren't allowed to tell anybody. I only knew in the afternoon that it was closing that night. So I just went and stood on the stage and sang I Am What I Am and just said, this is for anybody that's ever worked here and stood on this stage. Keen to find out more of the history of the Black Cap, I caught up with Alex Green. I call myself an entertainer, but I'm a sort of cabaret producer, singer, writer, comedian, all of those things. Uh, but I'm also an LGBTQ. A natural-born entertainer and passionate LGBTQ plus activist who has worked tirelessly since the Black Cap's closure in 2015 to reinstate the bar back to its former glory. You know, it was pretty much established as, a, as a, the Palladium of Drag by 1965, so before legalisation. So it was very actively a gay bar and then swung right into the 70s, you know, as an out and proud. And I love that. I love that. And, you know, there isn't really anywhere else that did that. The Black Cap's prestige was not lost on Amy LeMay, performer, DJ, former mayoress of Camden and current London night star. You know, I basically came to London to be a lesbian <laughs> because I had, you know, grown up in a small town in New Jersey where I really didn't feel like I could be myself. And, and London, I think has always been just such a beacon of inclusiveness and acceptance and diversity. And London is where I found my people. I was also doing lots of other kind of little shows just in and around pubs in London. So the Black Cap was one of those. I mean, it's like, if you could get a gig at the Black Cap, it was like, you know, you, you, you know, that was a real feather in your cap <laughs> to be at the Black Cap. But it was so much more. It was a place many called home and during the AIDS pandemic, a place the community turned to for support, as Alex recalls. I kind of moved into a squat in Camden, just around the corner from the Cap, and it just... It's a natural place to gravitate to. And the first time I ever went in there, I just thought, this is, you know, my tribe. So you'd come into the pub off the street and then you'd sort of go through a, a little secret archway and into the back room, which is where the, the drag uh, and the bar was at the back there. So it was quite basic, you know, old style Victorian pub. And then it was just full of like leather queens and people in really tight jeans and old people and young people and lesbians and even, even people of colour, which is very rare in gay places now, let alone then. So, you know, and even trans people, you know, so there's always a mix of people in the cap, which I found really fascinating because it kind of reminded me of growing up. My dad was a singer in pubs and clubs and we used to spend half of our life in the local working men's club. So, yeah, so the, the makeup of the people in the cap w was essentially the makeup of Camden, you know. It was always that sort of edgy, slightly run-down place, and the people in it were slightly edgy and run-down. <laughs> so the black cap was edgy and eclectic in its makeup, but it was also one of the first places in London which began disseminating information about sexual health and AIDS. First time I ever saw any information as a young gay man about AIDS was in the black cap. So there was nothing, you know, there was newspaper, so all, it was all in the news. The virus can be passed during sexual intercourse with an infected person. 
but it was all like the shocks of gay plague and stuff like that. But there was no information about, you know, what it was. People would say, oh, you gotta use condoms. I was sorry, but there was no official documents or information. There wasn't a Terence Higgins Trust. There wasn't a health campaign. It was the Black Cap and places like the Black Cap, the RVT and a few other places. And it was the drag queens. It was absolutely the first time I ever heard anybody publicly say anything about, we've got to look after ourselves. And there's a, you know, there's some leaflets here and you know, you need to wear condoms. Was Regina Fong, Lily Savage, people like that on the stage saying, guys, if you're, you know, you're not taking this seriously, you really need to. And that's the first time I ever heard anything that was remotely like useful information. Because you're young, you just think, you would literally, over that period, you would go in and go, oh, where's David? And gone, you know, and it'd be like days and then you'd be gone. I mean, I lost so many friends. Well, we all did, you know. I mean, I say this about the cap all the time, you know, that it was like, you know, most people's family social club became your queer family home, you know, but inevitably it became the place of so many funeral wakes and stuff. If anyone had a sniffle or a cough or a cold sore, or, you know, it was like, you know, if you did yourself, you just thought you were dead. I mean, it was that extreme at times. When it really hit me, it was when my best friend essentially died, and then really quickly as well. So basically, my first proper boyfriend in London, we broke up after two years and it was his next boyfriend. And then, you know, after a year they broke up, but we were like the three musketeers. And Chris just was unlucky, really. The two of us were still alive, but he was really just unlucky. You know, I was gay and I was living the life and, you know, it was wonderful. And then suddenly, all of that stuff, you know, you became more and more the kind of enemy, if you like, again, and being pushed away and, and discussed as if you were something shameful. Gay nightlife has always served as a vital space for community building and escaping societal persecution. After the mass shooting in Orlando's Pulse nightclub in 2016, and more recently, during the making of this programme, Club Q in Colorado, shockwaves rippled across the world. There wasn't an LGBTQ person who didn't stop, mourn, and even think just for a second that could have been us, as Jeremy Joseph, the current owner of London's GAY and Heaven, told me. When Pulse happened in Orlando, and we, uh, we, you know, there was a group of us got together, and it's important for me now to say a group because no one person should ever take credit for what happened the next day. And we organised the, the two-minute silence on Old Compton Street. And we had no idea what it was going to be like. We had 24-hour notice. It was just the most incredible moment and literally within two hours just a sea of people and we'd set this thing time of going um i think it was seven o'clock minute silent and we had this plan how we're going to do it i had the uh the vicar from st anne church with me he was going to ring a bell at seven i would think it's a little bit further going to blow a whistle then gary kubar was going to blow another whistle and the, the, so it'd go along the street certain point blowing whistles everyone needs to go silent we're about to ring the bell at seven o'clock the, the whole street just went silent you know when, when you have an attack on the community in another country it shows you how strong our community is here and how important it is for LGBT venues because without those, that day would never have happened either. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. 
From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Having survived turmoil and adversity throughout the 80s and 90s, it was in 2015 that the Black Cap closed its doors after a drawn-out planning battle with its owners. The closure came as a surprise to many, as Alex Green of the We Are The Black Cap campaign told me. So it could earn a lot of money, you know, as a money maker. What happened in the early 2000s, it kind of went back to be a little bit more, sort of felt a bit more local, still full, still busy, but it wasn't very imaginative and things were changing. I think, you know, the sort of hangover of house music and ecstasy and it was quite like a lot of places, there were a lot of drugs going on in there, but not in a, you know, to lift your spirits. It was a bit dark. The cap was sold along with 12 other pubs as a, as a package. So he bought these and then just systematically started to slice and dice them. And then he got to the cap and he started almost immediately to try and angle for planning permission to turn the upper floors into to flats. And at the time, you could do that if you were the landlord. The community sort of came together, opposed all of those, and then a local charity, the LBGT Forum in Camden, put forward a, a proposal for an asset of community value to protect it as an LBGT historical space and venue. He challenged that, and then when he lost that challenge, literally closed the pub. On the night it closed, there was 500 people in there. Customers, performers and staff gave the Black Cap an emotional farewell, making speeches from the stage, joining a chorus of say hello, wave goodbye, writing messages on the changing room mirrors and dancing on the bar to like a prayer. Mrs Murr tells me why saving spaces like the Black Cap is still vital. I think where a lot of gay history is being lost, it's not being passed on, because it's, it's all that immediacy now, there's no... We're not chatting, we're not learning stuff, we're not passing history on, the gay history. I, I don't think, because I don't think there's enough spaces where that mixture is happening. And also, I don't think people are used to that anymore. A lot of people say that dating apps like Grindr or Scruff are responsible for the decline of queer spaces. Some even argue that hookup apps are destroying queer culture altogether. These apps arguably present themselves as a meat market of people looking for quick hookups and instant gratification. But are they really to blame for the changes occurring to queer spaces? They're all on their phones. You know, up and upstairs here, there's somebody at their own grinder. I mean, look at the size of the bar upstairs. It's not exactly massive. And they're on grinders. Like, oh, he's over there. Yeah, he's over there. Go and talk to him. Oh, no, I can't possibly do that. I'll send him a picture of my dick. He's over there. You're in the same room. What's the matter with you? You know, people have lost that art of just talking to one another now. 
In the 1960s, when same-sex intimacy and non-gender conformance were widely met with hostility and violence, it was a place of safety and joy for the LGBTQ community all over London. It's impossible to guess the number of lives saved by the physical protection and emotional support of the Black Cap. I think it had that great combination of like a steady, secure place. You knew it was always there, but whenever you turned up, you never knew it was going to (laughs) happen. And I think that it's that kind of that that kind of feeling of safety and security, why LGBTQ plus spaces are so important to our community, but also that element of surprise. So you never knew who was going to be on stage. They might be really awful. They might be absolutely brilliant. It might be the best thing you've ever seen in your whole life. But unless you turn up and take that chance, you might miss it. And regardless, either way, it makes for a great night out um, and certainly made for a great night out at the Black Cap. Different in many ways, Heaven, the Black Cap and the Nightingale all share similarities in how they've changed, grown and developed. Unlike the Black Cap, which closed in 2015, Heaven and the Nightingale continue to thrive, but in a drive to be commercially viable in an increasingly challenging market. Have they lost their sense of purpose or is it simply a sign of the times? I put this to Jeremy Atherton-Lynn, author of the critically acclaimed book, Gay Bar, Why We Went Out. If gay bars are closing, is gay identity itself shutting down? So I don't think it's terribly surprising that the spaces have morphed over time in terms of who's going. But I also think it's pretty inevitable that people who are looking for something else will probably just drift along and find that or form that themselves. I mean, I think one of the things that we often forget about in these discussions are our elders. And when a place like the Black Cap closes, oftentimes the person I kind of imagine as being the most affected by that is the elder regular who's been holding up the bar, has a spot that they always take. Gay bars will definitely mean something different to them than they will to a younger generation. And for many, the Black Cap was simply just iconic. People still talk about, you know, Reg, her appeal, Hannah's vagina fong, you know. It's like we, we did for 10 years after she died, all of us would get together and we'd do her skits. But for someone that's been dead 10 years that can still pack a pub with people and the regulars that haven't been there for years come that one time of the year when we did it and stuff. For 10 years, that's remarkable. I think that's remarkable. And that's because of Regina and because of where it is and the memories that it has for people. Thank you so much for listening to Memories from the Dance Floor. If you enjoyed this trip down memory lane, then please like, share, subscribe and leave a review. Also, please feel free to get in touch and share your own memories from the dance floor with me at hello at demiancairlin.com. Memories from the Dance Floor is an ACAS Amplifiers commissioned podcast written by myself and produced by the incredible Hunter Shalton. Our artwork was created by Leon Davis and theme music was written by the gorgeous Jay Aria. And I didn't say cunt once, did I? I don't think I did. No, you didn't, darling. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. 
With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com. Hello and welcome to Memories from the Dance Floor, the podcast that uncovers the hidden history behind our LGBTQ spaces. This June, for Pride Month, we will make a triumphant return with season two. Expect all the usual boss and coded expression, except this time things will be a little bit different. So use this time to brush up on your knowledge and catch up on season one because we can't wait to welcome you back to the dance floor.